Well, today uh, we're introduced to John the Baptist. Actually, he wasn't a Baptist at all. Though when Trebek and I were growing up Baptists, we thought our denomination began about the time of Jesus' baptism. Uh, but if anything, I think he'd prefer to be identified as an Anglican. But to avoid confusion, we're just going to call him John the Baptizer. Now, to appreciate our gospel reading that Bill just read, it's important to know that of the four gospel accounts, Mark is thought to have been the first written. Why would that be important this morning? It's because the word gospel or good news had probably never been used before when writing the story of Jesus. It's one of Mark's favorite words, and he uses it a lot. But our problem is that we've gotten so used to the word gospel that it doesn't have the impact it would have had on Mark's first century readers. The word was a secular word. It was the word used by a runner who reported to a Greek city that a distant battle had been won. It was a word used to announce events like the birth of a new king. But now Mark uses it to refer to the story of Jesus. So it's as if Mark is saying, guess what? If the story, I'm, uh, the story I'm about to tell you is the story of a servant king who won a victory that was motivated by love. But it's not the kind of good news that you might expect, and some of it won't even make you feel comfortable. And with that, Gospeler launches into the story, introducing us to a very strange man. Instead of a Giorgio Armani suit, he's dressed in clothing of camel hair. Instead of gourmet charcuterie, he dines on locusts and wild honey. In fact, he would have reminded Mark's readers, let alone the folks getting baptized by John, of the Old Testament prophet Elijah and of Israel's wilderness wanderings. He's doing this in the wilderness. And in Matthew's gospel, even Jesus makes it clear that John was the promised Elijah of Malachi 4, 5, and 6, who was to come and complete his ministry of restoration right on the eve of the great and terrible day of the Lord. What Mark is doing from the get-go is locating the story of Jesus in the context of a larger story that includes Israel's history with Yahweh. I mean, look, Look at the gospel reading. Even the very first word of his gospel account in the Greek, arche, the beginning, would have communicated to his readers and to us that you can't understand the story of Jesus unless you locate it in the big story that begins in Genesis. I love the way that theologian Willie Abraham puts this. Here's what he says. The revelation of God in Israel is the conceptual and spiritual cradle for the coming of Christ. God's dealings with Israel provide the swaddling clothes for the life of Jesus Christ. They tutor a people to receive God's decisive and final act of healing and redemption. The coming of Jesus is no bolt from the blue, he says. It happens in God's good time once the platform has been put in place through the centuries. And the final plank in the platform is the ministry of John the baptizer. Now, to make that crystal clear, Mark quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3, verse 1, to contextualize John the baptizer's appearance. Now, I, I know he says in the gospel reading he's only quoting Isaiah, but he slipped a bit of Malachi in as well. I mean, who hasn't done that, right? Now, in, in our Old Testament text today, then, the setting in Isaiah 
is a heavenly court that is commanded to speak words of comfort to Yahweh's people, to speak tenderly to them, because the time of Israel's punishment, of her wanderings in the wilderness, and of her eventual exile, it's over. And God has forgiven his people. Though sin has separated them, God will return to his people. And for that return, the heavenly court must make the way swift and unimpeded for God to take his people from captivity in Babylonia back to Jerusalem. The return is certain because God has promised it and everyone is going to see it. So verse six, preach it, Isaiah. And he says, preach what? Preach this. God's people show him dedication, but it doesn't last. Their dedication fades, but not God's. God's faithfulness is forever. God keeps God's promises. God is going to gather up all the promises that God has made in the past and make sure they come to pass. God is going to bring his reward, his Judah, with him when he comes into Jerusalem as a victorious king who will at the same time care for his people like a shepherd who holds them close to his heart. And in the same way that God led his people back home out of exile, from punishment for their sins to liberating forgiveness, Mark is telling his readers that God is, going to, is doing it decisively now, beginning with John the baptizer. This is the good news. God is visiting our planet in the person of the Davidic king, Jesus Christ, so that that promise made to Abraham eons ago that through Israel, through this Israel, this Jew, Jesus Christ, all the nations will be blessed. And we will be brought out of our bondage and addictions and death-inducing thoughts and practices into the covenant promises that will lead us into a future of goodness and hope and life. But before that can happen, in the lives of the people, they must come to John to be baptized. Now, there's a lot of opinions about the significance of John's baptism, but it, it seems to harken back to what's recorded in Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. As God made the covenant with his people, the Lord told Moses this, Go down and prepare the people for my visit. Purify them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they're ready on the third day, for I will come down upon Mount Sinai as all the people watch. You see, the washing symbolized the spiritual cleansing that was necessary before entering into a covenant relationship with God. And so here, as the people flock to John the baptizer, his job is to get the people ready for what's to come, calling the people to the cleansing waters of repentance. Because, get this, sin is the reason for the season. I know you've seen the bumper sticker, Jesus is the reason for the season. But the real reason for the season is sin. And this baptism of cleansing and purification is going to get them ready to receive the God who will come down into their lives. Now, this John was commissioned then to do what was promised in Malachi 3. As God's messenger, prepare the way before the one who will come, just as God's word promised. The one who will fulfill the promise first made before Eve, when God told the serpent that her seed would crush the serpent's head. The one who will fulfill the promise made to Abraham that through his children, through this child, all the nations will be blessed. This man who suddenly appears on the scene as a kind of Elijah, uninvited, without credentials, speaks words of judgment as Israel heard in the wilderness 
where they rebelled against Yahweh in order to prepare the people for the one who is to come. The one who is even greater than John, who will shape human history from the cross on which the powers of Rome will execute him. The one who will immerse people in the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel. This is the good news announcement that victory is at hand. John is announcing a revolution. You can hear it in Luke's account of John's message to the people when he proclaims judgment on Governor Herod after saying to the folks who came for baptism, already the axe is laid to the roots of the trees, and every tree that fails to produce good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. And that causes the people to ask, what, what should we do? And here's John's answer. Whoever has two shirts must give one to the man who has none, and whoever has food must share it. That's repentance. That's revolution. This is the gospel. You can hear it in the words of Mary's song. The mighty one is holy. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things. He scatters the proud, takes princes from their thrones and exalts the lowly. He satisfies the hungry with good things and sends the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel. He's not forgotten his promise to be merciful. That is revolution. This is the gospel. You can hear it in the words of the one whose sandals John is not worthy to untie when John is in prison later and wants proof that this one is the Messiah. And here's what Jesus tells John through his disciples. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That is revolution in society and in our personal lives. John the baptizer is getting us ready this Advent season. In the words of Isaiah that Mark wants us to remember as we encounter John in this story, shout from the mountaintops. Don't be afraid. Your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign God is coming in all his glorious power. He will rule with awesome strength. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the word of the Lord. And this changes everything. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.